You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, visit sojournmontrose.org. It's great to be with you, and um, yeah, just thank you. Um, so already um, partnering with you guys, uh, knowing that you're behind us, behind the gospel work in France, and just seeing how the Lord's brought that relationship uh, about um, has just been a massive encouragement for, for me um, and for my family. Um, and so to, to just kind of be sense being going to France, not just a kind of a little thing that we're doing, but, but to be part of this thing that God's uh, putting together across uh, a very large pond um, and across cultures, but bringing uh, churches and people together for his glory. So it's just been a massive encouragement for you. So thank you. Um, thank you to God. And we're just looking forward to getting to know you more, um, to having lots of you over to stay. We're going to be living just five minutes from the entrance to Disney. So I think I think we just kind of exponentially increase the, the the chance of people coming to see us um so yeah please come please come and see us we we, we really want this to be a real uh, partnership for the gospel uh, both here and uh, in france so very excited and excited to get to um open god's word with you so why don't i pray uh, as we as, as we start to look uh, father we thank you for your word we thank you that you have spoken and uh, that you have not remained silent but you have revealed yourself through your word and supremely through your son. Uh, We thank you that uh, you have said in him everything that you have to say. Uh, We thank you that you have shown yourself in all of your fullness, in your your glory, in your grace, in your majesty, in your justice, in your worthiness, in your power, in your love, in your mercy through the Lord Jesus. Um, We thank you for the Bible, which is all about him. And so as we look at at Revelation this morning, uh, our prayer, Father, is that um, by your spirit, uh, you would take that word and put it deep in our hearts. Uh, May your word please find good soil in our hearts this morning. Would you be at work even now stirring us up to hear your word um, so that it might be planted deep in us and, and, and grow up and bear a great fruit 30, 60, 100 times what is sown. We don't want this, Father, to be a stale time. We want this to be a time in which you meet with us by your Spirit. Um, Thank you uh, that when your word is taught there, you are present by your Spirit. Um, And so we pray you would come in power this morning, convict us of sin, uh, show us our weakness, show us our frailty. uh, But above all, Father, please show us our Saviour in his glory and his grace. May we see... uh, your delights, your treasure in his face. And we pray it for the glory of his name. Amen. Um, well, two, about uh, two weeks ago, uh, we heard the, the sad but happy news that uh, Elizabeth Elliot um, has died and gone to be with her saviour. And she was a great inspiration uh, to, to many of us. Um, just a, a wonderful um, example of what it means to be captivated by Jesus and to live a life that's that's all about him and all about his glory. Um, I guess not lots of you will, will know the story of, of her and her husband, Jim, uh, but I guess some of you might not, so I'm going to tell it. I'm going to tell you the story now. Um, so it's a bit strange for me as an Englishman telling you a story about one of your own, but there we are. Um, so uh, uh, Jim Elliott uh, was a missionary to uh, South America, to Ecuador in the 1950s. And he and a bunch of uh, friends, four, four guys, committed themselves to reaching um, a tribe uh, in Ecuador called the Harani or the, or the Orca tribe um, in that country. They were a notoriously fierce and territorial people group. 
Um, and so they spent a good number of years uh, learning language and preparing themselves to go in the capital of Ecuador, at Quito. Uh, over that time, uh, Jim got married to, married to Elizabeth and she became Elizabeth Elliot. Um, and, uh, and soon after, um, the men went off uh, into the jungle uh, to kind of establish a base uh, from which they could start to develop relationships and get to know uh, this tribe very, very gently and slowly. Um, uh, shortly before they uh, left, um, uh, the, the, uh, Elizabeth gave birth to Valerie, uh, their first firstborn, um, and um, so um, out they went. Uh, into the jungle, and, and initially signs were, were encouraging. Um, things were things were going well. They were befriending uh, people uh, in the tribe. Uh, they had a fixed wing aircraft that they would circle around in, um, and drop down uh, gifts and uh, encouraging messages. Sometimes Bible verses. Uh, they particularly got to know one guy uh, in the tribe who became kind of their guide. Uh, he, they called him George, um, and he would take rides with them in in the in the uh, the aircraft. Uh, but on January the 8th, 1956, uh, disaster struck. Um, uh, George, uh, they didn't know it, but George had been lying to the elders of the tribe about their intentions. Um, and so on that day, uh, a group of Har Haranis approached uh, the camp, uh, not as the missionaries had thought to have a ride in the aircraft, uh, but to spear every single one of those men to death. Uh, they were well thought through, clinical, um, and by the end of that day, not one of those men was left alive. Uh, so a little Valerie, just 10 months old, uh, was now without a father. Uh, Elizabeth was a widow. And all for what? Because not even one person from that tribe had heard the good news of Jesus clearly explained to them. It all just seemed such a waste. Why had they even bothered now, we're going to France in just uh, three weeks. And uh, France is not quite the Harani tribe. Um, there's Disney. Um, uh, but it is a hard place to live as a Christian. It's hard for kids uh, growing up in schools uh, to live openly as a Christian. You're, you're mocked if you stand up for being a Christian in a school, not just by the kids, but by the teachers. Um, it's a tough place uh, to be a Christian. Um, and, and many missionaries have gone there. Um, and come home soon afterwards with, with, with their tail between their legs, um, feeling like it had been a failure. Um, it's hard ground. It's a tough place uh, to minister the gospel. And we're asking you to partner with us in going to France. Um, and so we're asking you, and um, we're excited that you want to partner with us to, to, to do that, um, to give money, resources, time, even asking maybe some of you might come and join us uh, in the future. Why would you bother it's so fruitful here, isn't it? So fruitful at home in a place that we know. Why would you leave a place that you know where you're going to be less effective and go to a place uh, where, you, frankly, you don't know what the outcome is going to be? Uh, in, in just a couple of years, um, there are two couples from our church, the Crowded House in the UK, uh, who are going to be sent to Kurdistan. Uh, and Kurdistan of Iraq, uh, which is really the front line of the, 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 the advance um, of Islamic State uh, at the moment. It's a dangerous place to go. They're going to be taking their little blonde children with them. Those kids are going to be at risk. Uh, they're taking younger people as well from the church who are going to be joining the team uh, with them. Why would they ask those people? Why would they take their kids to a place of such danger, risking their lives um, in a place where uh, the gospel has, has really not made a great impact um, over the centuries. Why would they do that? And closer to home, 
But why would we bother raising our head above the parapet and witness to Jesus in our culture? Um, it's been a, a week of, of great events in the US with the Supreme Court, Court ruling about homosexuality and homosexual marriage. And it's going to become harder and harder for us in the West uh, to be speaking openly for Jesus. Um, as we tell people that their identity isn't in their sexuality, but that their identity is to be found in Christ and bring people that glorious news of freedom and joy in Christ. We're going to be seen as bigots. We're going to have our words twisted and be made to be seen by people who don't love, who don't care. So why would we bother? Why would we bother speaking when we know that that's likely to be how we're going to be treated, we're likely to be to be marginalised increasingly as a church in the West if we continue to hold out the good news of Jesus uh, to people and say that this book uh, is good news. Why would we bother? Well, um, the Christians in Rome who uh, God gave John this vision for were actually in a very similar uh, position. Uh, they... Um, uh, 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 were in a situation um, under the, the, the Roman Empire. Uh, and the Roman Empire really was all-powerful to them. If they uh, lived openly as Christians, if they spoke out for Jesus, if they refused to do the, the sacrifices at the temple and to eat meat sacrificed to idols, then they would be at best marginalised, uh, banned from the trade guild, so unable to earn money, uh, uh, evicted from their homes, at worst uh, they would be killed. That's what would happen if they lived openly for Jesus. And that is what happened to Christians living in Rome uh, down, down the years. So why would they bother raising their heads above the parapet? Why would they, they bother witnessing to Jesus when the reality all around them was just the brute power of the Roman Empire? Well, this chapter of Revelation is written to those Christians. And it's written to them to show them exactly why, if we know Jesus and we won't be able to keep ourselves from raising our head above the parapet and speaking for him, going for him, living for him openly, whatever the cost. Because uh, what's happening in this chapter uh, and in Revelation in general is that God, God, God is, it's like what God's doing is he's, he's tearing away the veil between us and heaven. And he gives the Apostle John this, this vision of what's happening in heaven right now, the, the risen Lord Jesus ruling on the throne of the universe. And he shows in this chapter three things about the risen Lord Jesus. And they're three things that if we get them today, if they get into our heads and get from our heads into our hearts and we grasp them with our hearts and believe them, then we will find ourselves unable to run and get on board with Jesus's mission to speak and live for him uh, here and to the ends of the earth, whatever the cost might be. So let's have a look together. Let's see those three things. Why get involved? Why step out on Jesus's international mission? Well, first, because Jesus is winning for himself a people right now from every corner of the globe. That is what he's doing in heaven right now. Because that's what the scroll and its seals are all about in verse 1. And then I saw, we're told, and in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. So this scroll, it represents God's purposes and plans to save a people for himself from every part of the world. Um, and that is why John weeps in verse 4, because there's nobody found who is worthy to open the scroll or to look 
into it. There is nobody found who can open the scroll and unleash God's purposes of salvation in his world. And and if nobody can unleash God's purposes in his world, well, that means that everything is just random. Everything is just meaningless. And God's people, God's people might as well just give up now because we don't know where it's going to end. We don't know if our witness about Jesus is going to turn out to something or if it's all just going to turn out to be completely pointless. pointless. Who's going to win the day? Well, I don't know if you ever feel like that. I don't know if you ever feel like everything is meaningless, whether events in your life make you think they don't just... This all just seems so pointless and, and, and meaningless. So uh, you maybe you've been witnessing uh, to a friend about Jesus and they seem to be getting interested. They seem to, be, to want to know who he is and what he's done. And they seem excited about that. They're reading the Bible with you. And then one day they just walk away. They, they say, I don't want to know anymore. And they walk away, not just from Jesus, but from the friendship. We've had a number of people do that in Boroughbridge. Uh, and that's hard. Uh, or maybe uh, a loved one is it given a terminal diagnosis? And you think, what's going on? Or the government of the country that you love makes a decision uh, in the Supreme Court that just makes you think, where is, where is it heading? Where, where's our country heading? Where's the mission of Jesus heading? Where's truth heading? Uh, we've got a couple um, that, we, that we know, some friends in, in Paris, who, who, as we speak, are packing up their stuff to leave Paris. They've been there for 27 years, building relationships patiently, faithfully with people. They've not seen a lot of people become Christians, but they're getting to that point now where they're being fruitful in their relationships, and yet they're having to leave because uh, their youngest son um, has severe autism and can't get the treatment that he needs in France, and so they're t- returning to the US uh, next week. It just seems... Pointless, meaningless. Do you ever feel like that? Well, here's the glorious news this morning. Here is what we need. Here's what our hearts need to hear this morning. Brothers and sisters, there is someone ruling on the throne of the universe. There is somebody who is sovereignly carrying out God's purposes. Just listen to this word about him. And one of the elders said to me, verse 5, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. There is somebody who is ruling over the universe right now, and it's Jesus, the lamb who was slain. He's ruling in power. He's the, he, he's the, the, the rampant lion of Judah who has conquered. Uh, and nothing will stop him in his tracks as he goes about doing God's will. He has all of the power in the universe. He has the, the, the seven horns. That's the, uh, seven is the, the, the biblical number for completeness, totality. Horn is the, is the biblical symbol for, for power. And so we're being told he has all of the power in the universe. Nobody can stand against him. Nothing can stop him achieving his purposes to win people for himself from every nation. Nothing can deflect his purposes. 
And yet he's not just ruling in brute power, is he? Because when John looks, he sees not a lion, but a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Do you see that? The one who is ruling right now over the universe, who is in charge of every single event that happens, is our lovely saviour who died for us. Isn't that great news? Doesn't that make your heart sing this morning? But what is he ruling for? What are his, what are his purposes? Well, chapter 6 and 7 show us, because as he opens the scroll, uh, as he unleashes the seals, we see all sorts of events happening. Uh, there, there are famines, uh, there are earthquakes, there's death, there's destruction, all sorts of things which look like chaos. And yet... It's all heading towards the end when the sixth seal is opened in chapter 7, verse 9. We get this climax. This is the point that everything is heading towards. Just flick on with me uh, to chapter 7, verse 9. Here's what we read. Here is where history is heading. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Jesus, our lovely saviour, is ruling over the universe. Why? To win for himself a people from every nation. That is where history is heading. That is where our world is heading. And nothing, nothing can stop that from happening. Not Supreme Court rulings, not, um, not, not, not autism. N- nothing will stop that from happening. Jesus will win himself a people from every tribe and language and people and nation through the chaos, through the suffering, through the apparent meaningless. He is going to do it. Why does God give John this vision? Well, simply so that God's people, so that we will rally to Jesus's banner. So we won't sit feeling feeling uh, fearful and as if passively kind of scared of events going on in the world as if they're in charge. We won't sit feeling like we can't raise our head above the parapet because we're at the mercy of the world all around us. He gives us this vision so we will see the lamb ruling on the throne of the universe and we will not be able to stop ourselves from running to get involved with his mission. Here in Houston, speaking out for Jesus in Montrose, uh, speaking out for Jesus in France, speaking out for Jesus everywhere, because he will win. The lamb wins. But there's more. Because Jesus isn't just winning for himself or people right now. Jesus, we're told, has already purchased a people for himself from every corner of the globe. He's already done it. You see, in verse 8, the 24 elders fall down. This is back in chapter 5. They fall down before the Lamb in worship. Uh, And John tells us in verse 9 that they sing a new song. And it's this. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Do you see that? Jesus has already in the past ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. He's already done it. On the cross, as Jesus died, he was actually purchasing people for his father from every single corner 
of the globe. Jesus has his little ones who he has died for in every place, in every people group, and he will bring them home to himself. And in fact, that just makes sense, doesn't it? If we know the Bible's story, it has always been God's intention from Abraham on to have a people for himself, to bless people in every family on the earth through the seed of Abraham, through his son, Jesus. And when Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, that is what he was achieving. That is what he was securing. When he died on the cross, he was actually dying in the place of the people who God had chosen since before the creation of the world from every part of the earth to be his people. He wasn't just dying for some potential that maybe people might believe in in the future, uh, let's hope. He actually died for people in every corner of the globe and he will bring them home to himself through the witness of his people. Why go to the tough places? Why go to the places where um, gospel ministry has seemed fruitless in the past? Why bother sending people? Why support them as they go? Well, because Jesus has his little ones in every place and he will win them for himself. Two years after those men were killed, uh, Elizabeth Elliot uh, uh, with Valerie uh, they're ten month, old, uh, three three year old now, uh, and Rachel Saint, one of the the sisters of one of the uh, the other guys who were killed. They went back to the Harani tribe, uh, and for two years they lived among the tribe, befriending these guys, sharing Jesus with the same people who had died, who who, who had killed their loved ones. And by God's grace, by his amazing forgiving love, by the witness of these courageous women, many, many of the people in that tribe became Christians. The guy who led the spear attack on these men became the principal evangelist and pastor of that tribe. Why could Jim Elliot risk his life to share the gospel with these Haranis, even though he knew he would probably uh, lose his life uh, in doing it? Well, because he knew that God had his little ones among the Haranis, and even if he didn't get to see it, God would search them out and bring them home. Why get involved in Mission to the Nations? Well, Mission to the Nations will be hard. It'll be costly. It'll be perplexing. It won't be what we think is going to happen. It's going to cost us, uh, some of us, our lives. It may even cost us the lives of our loved ones. But in the end, success is guaranteed because of the cross. But you may be listening to all of this and you're just thinking, well, you know, that's, that's great, Del. Uh, maybe getting involved in seeing the gospel established where it isn't currently established, where, where people haven't heard about Jesus. That's a great thing. Maybe God would even use it for great things if I got involved with that. But, you know, why would we bother? Why would we give up a comfortable life here for a difficult one over there? Why would we spend our money and our resources uh, and, our, and send people who are dear to us to see the gospel established in other places when there's still so much need here on our doorstep. And there must be thousands of people in Houston who still have not heard 
the good news of Jesus that we know, that we love, that we cherish and enjoy. There must be thousands of those people in, in Montrose alone. We, we saw some of them last night as we were driving around. People who need the gospel here. Why would we be giving people away? Why would we be spending resources on seeing the gospel established elsewhere when there's still so much need here where we live now? Well, there are lots of answers that Christians would give to that. Some would say uh, you should go because of obedience. Uh, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, Jesus has told us to, so we should go and make disciples of all nations, people would say. Other people would say, well, you should get involved because if you don't, how will those billions of people who are heading for hell, separated from, from God, subject to his anger forever, if they don't hear about Jesus, how will they hear unless you go? If you don't go, who's going to go? Somebody's got to go. You should go because of compassion for those lost souls who've never heard about the grace that's come to you so richly in the gospel. Other people would say, well, you should go uh, because it's our identity. That's who we are. We're saved to be missionaries. So uh, in chapter 5, verse, verse 10, we hear you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God. That's who we are. We're priests. So priests were there to, to communicate God to the people and to pray to God on behalf of the people. And that's who God's made us as Christians for the world. He saved us to be people who communicate God to the world and who pray to God on behalf of the world. That's who we are. That's our identity. And all of those are, are, are valid. They are great motivations for getting involved in world mission. But here's the thing, and here's where we're going to end today. None of those None of those can ever be our central driving motivation to be involved in Jesus's mission because all of those ultimately run dry. Our obedience grows hollow and just like a, like a duty. Our, our compassion runs out in the face of the people who we're compassionate towards when they don't, they don't want us. They don't want the gospel that we've got to, 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 to share with them. Our, our, our compassion runs dry. Our, our, we forget our identity. None of those can ever be our central motivation. In the end, there's only one real driving motivation that will see the day. And that is simply this. This is our motivation because Jesus is worthy. Because Jesus is worthy of the praise of people in every single corner of the globe. Just look uh, at, at verse 9. Why do the elders fall down in worship before Jesus? Because Jesus is worthy. Verse uh, 12, the billions of angels sing, Worthy is the Lamb uh, who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honour and glory and blessing. Verse 13, every creature in earth and in, in heaven and under the earth and in, in the sea, every single creature sings to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honour and glory and might forever and ever. Jesus is worthy of the praise of people in every part of the world. In, in fact, he's worthy of the praise of every single creature under heaven. But the question is, why? What is it that makes Jesus worthy? Well, you might think it's because he's so big. Uh, and he is big, isn't he? Do you know that, 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 that brilliant, just throwaway line, one of my favourite verses uh, in the Bible, in, in Genesis chapter 1, was describing how God created the, the, everything that there is uh, by, by speaking, by his word. We find out later in Colossians that it's through Jesus, the word, that 
the world has been created. Um, but there's this crow, uh, throwaway line where it just says, uh, he also made the stars. He also made the stars. Those countless billions of galaxies, of, of billions of stars, thousands of times bigger than our sun. And he also made the stars. That is how powerful, that is how big Jesus is. You might think it's because he's so mighty. Uh, and he is mighty, isn't he? So uh, he speaks and a universe comes into existence. Uh, when he's walking around in his earth, he speaks uh, and a violent storm is stilled just like that. He speaks uh, and a man who's never walked before suddenly leaps around because of his power. He speaks and a man, his friend who's been dead for four days, whose body is already rotting in the tomb, he speaks and he comes alive. That is how mighty Jesus is. You might think it's because he's so wise. Who can question the counsel of the Lord? But none of those are the reason we're given here, are they? For why Jesus is worthy. Just look with me at the reason we're given here. Look at verse 9. Worthy are you, for you were slain. And with your blood, you ransomed people for God. Verse 12. Worthy is the lamb who was slain, the sacrificial lamb given on the altar so that his, God's people could be reconciled to him. Verse 13, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, the lamb who was slain, be blessing and honour and glory and might forever and ever. Do you see it? Why are the angels praising Jesus in heaven right now? What are they praising him for? Why is Jesus the Lamb worthy of the praise of every single being in the universe? Why is he worthy to win for himself a people from every people group on the earth? Why is nothing else fitting for the praise of this Jesus? Well, because of the cross. Because of the cross because there on that cross bloodied and bruised on a Roman instrument of torture 2,000 years ago God the Son by the strength of God the Spirit willingly bore in himself all of the wrath of God the Father at our sin that just right anger at our rejection of him he bore it all in his body so that we could be forgiven so that we his little ones could be his precious children it's just amazing isn't it god the son for the joy set before him of having and knowing a people for himself from every single part of the world was willingly separated from god the father so that we need never be separated from him again so that we might be brought home to the heart of the Father and enjoy the same relationship with our Father God in the power of the Spirit that Jesus himself has enjoyed since all eternity. It was the most extraordinary act of love that the world has ever seen. That God who spoke worlds, the universe into existence with a world, word from his mouth became a man, conceived uh, to a virgin outside of wedlock, conceived into shame, 
And he walked this earth and he became a servant and he humbled himself and became obedient, Paul tells us, even to the shamed death of the cross for the good of his people and for the glory of his father. And because of that, the apostle Paul says, God the father has exalted him and he has set him at his right hand and he's given him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue in heaven and on earth and under the earth confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is what Jesus is worthy of because of the cross. I don't know if you watched any of the 2012 Olympics. Um, it was a pretty good time for the, for the UK, even better for the, for the US. You guys did well, as always. Uh, Sad about that. Uh, but, but one particular event was kind of noteworthy. Um, Chad Leclos, I don't know if any of you, any of you saw him. He's a, a breast, uh, a butterfly uh, swimmer, um, South African. And he beat his boyhood hero, Michael Phelps, by 0.02 of a second uh, to win the 200 metres uh, butterfly. Uh, and he just went absolutely crazy afterwards. He just couldn't believe that he'd beaten his boyhood hero. But his dad went even more crazy. He was, his name was Bert Leclerc, and he's this huge South African guy. So it looked in interviews like he was just wearing one massive South African flag, this huge guy with a big, big beard. And uh, afterwards, um, a famous uh, British pundit, Claire Balding, uh, was interviewing him, and she was trying to get kind of details, training regime details out of him. Kind of, you know, so how did, you know, how's he trained? What's he done? What's it cost you to get, you know, to, to, to do this? How's it, how's it all worked? How's he managed to, 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 to do this? And, but Bert just, he did not want to talk about any of that. He was just bursting with pride. So he was like, he was like, he was like oh, my son, he's so beautiful. Oh, you oh, look at my son, look at him. And she's going, well, yeah, but that, that's good. But, well, how did he, no, my son, look at him. He's so lovely. He's so beautiful. He just wanted to, his heart was so full of love for his son because of what he'd done. He just wanted the whole world to see how beautiful his son was. And that is just a tiny picture of how God the Father feels about his son, Jesus, because of the cross. Because of the cross, God the Father loves his son so much that anything less than the praise of people in every corner of the globe, the praise of every creature in heaven, will not do for his lovely son. But here's the thing. That's surely not just the cry of the Father, is it? Surely that is the cry, the desire of the heart of every believer who has seen the wonder of the cross. Because when you see the wonder of the cross, when you see the love that God has poured out for us by giving his own son for us, that, that, then we can't be satisfied either, can we? Until the, the knowledge of the glory of Jesus fills the earth as the waters cover the sea. If you know Jesus, then you can't rest until everybody knows about him, until his praise is sung in every language under heaven, in every corner of the globe. You can't know Jesus and not want his glory in every single part of the world. If you're not a Christian here this morning, can I just invite you to check out this Jesus? <laughs> the things we're saying about him 
they're too big for you just to walk away and say, hey, that's just another thing. If these things are true, then it changes your life forever. If Jesus is the king who is ruling on the throne of the universe, if he did give himself so that people from every part of the world, from, 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 from Africa, from Asia, from Europe, from Houston, from Montrose, could be reconciled to God. If he is the only way, then you need to listen this morning and you need to, you need to look into him. So please don't leave here this morning just thinking, oh, that's just one more thing. If you don't know Jesus this morning, Please look into him. Please speak to the guys here. They'd love to talk to you and find out ways that you can investigate this glorious Jesus. And if we're believers, if we, if we do know this Jesus, well, let's go back to our original question. Why should we get involved in Jesus's global mission here in Houston and to the ends of the earth? Well, here's the thing. It's not so much that we should is that anyone whose heart has been truly won by the cross of Jesus simply won't be able to stop themselves, will they? If we're, if we're Jesus-loving gospel Christians, if we're Jesus-loving gospel churches, then we can't just be concerned with our little patch, can we? We can't just be concerned with our little corner of the kingdom. If we are, then well, that's often a, a sign that it's not so much Jesus' glory that's captured our hearts, but our own glory. You see, the gospel of the glory of the grace of God in Jesus starts its work in our hearts and it changes our affections. It reorders our desires and it changes our relationships. It transforms our relationships with our spouse and with our, with our kids, with our family, with our neighbours, with our friends, uh, with, with our city. But it doesn't stop its work in, that, in our hearts until it's taken us out to the ends of the earth to see Jesus' glory established there until Jesus' praise really is sung in every language under heaven and he is loved and delighted in and and, and trusted in and, and sung about and preached and relied upon in every corner of the globe. And that's why... Uh, we're uh, heading to France next year. That's why our church in Boroughbridge is sending us to France. Not because the job's done uh, where we are. It is far from done. But they're sending us because we want to see Jesus loved in places where he's currently not even named. Uh, and there's so much of France where that's true. There are towns of uh, 300 or so towns of 10, 20, 50,000 people where there is not a single evangelical church where people can hear about Jesus and see his glory. Uh, there are uh, whole counties with just one or two struggling evangelical churches to make Jesus known for hundreds of thousands of people. There are parts of central Paris even with 160,000 people and not a single church where people can hear about the glory of Jesus. We're so excited that you guys are partnering with us to see Jesus known and loved in those places. We are delighted. Come along this evening, please. Come and find out more uh, about what's going on in France and how we can partner together for the glory of Jesus. But here's the thing. What is going to keep our partnership going? What's going to keep it going through the hard times, through the times where it looks fruitless? What's going to uh, uh, mean that our, our, our partnership grows vibrant and, and we keep working together for the glory of Jesus here in Houston uh, and in France? What is going to mean that even some of you guys sitting here right now might join us in France 
in the future? What's going to make that happen? Well, it's not our willpower. It's not our good intentions. It's not our nice thoughts and carefully crafted emails and and documents. The only thing that's going to do it, that's going to keep us in it for the long haul until Jesus is loved and worshipped in every part of France is as our hearts are captured by a vision of the glory of Jesus in the gospel. So let's pray. Let's pray above all that God would capture our hearts and the hearts of his people in every place with such a vision of the glory of Jesus on the cross. Such a, such a vision of that last day when God gathers people from every nation around the throne and we worship him in every language with every kind of music under the sun. We join our hearts together and worship to Jesus that we won't be able to stop ourselves going or sending or praying or supporting or giving until Jesus really is known and loved in every part of the world and the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus fills the earth as the waters cover the sea. Because really, nothing less than that will do, will it, for our lovely Jesus. Let's pray.